With Father's Day right around the corner, what do you give to the man who has everything? Easy. You give him an experience he'll never forget. You give him Omaha Steaks because a world-class dad deserves a world-class steak. The Father's Day experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easy to put a smile on the big guy's face this summer with hand-selected gift packages starting at just $89. Just go to omahasteaks.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout for an additional discount when you shop gourmet gift packages for Father's Day. With Omaha Steaks, the possibilities are endless. Endless flavor, endless variety, and endless value. Truly, they have perfected more than just steak. Your dad is guaranteed to love every bite. Go to omahasteaks.com, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to get an exclusive savings. Shop for unforgettable gifts that are guaranteed to make dad's day. Because if there's one thing that Omaha Steaks knows, it's the dads want steak. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to save on exclusive packages starting at just $89. What is happening? Welcome to another On The Corner podcast. My name is Nick Pollock. Today, joining me for our last, I think it's the last one of this mock draft series, it is the wonderful Scott Chu. Good to see you. Always a pleasure. Yeah, I've been sick and busy and everything, so finally we can talk about this mock draft we did uh, almost a month ago now. we It's almost two months, Oh my honestly. God. And by the time you're listening to this, it's two and a half months. We did, we did this podcast, uh, we're doing this podcast on the 28th of November. Uh, we did this mock draft the first or second week. We, conclu- we concluded it by the second week of October. Um, as Scott sits here with an amazing dinosaur galaxy shirt, it, 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 is, it is something else to behold. You should tweet at him at if the chew fits, that is C-H-U fits, uh, to see that shirt. He'll send you a photo of it. It is glorious. But we're going to talk straight about your mock draft. We had some signings that we might be talking about. I mean, we have the lockout coming in a couple of days, so there shouldn't be, I mean, there should be some movement before that lockout happens, but uh, outside of that from December 1st or so until whenever this podcast comes out, I don't imagine anything will happen, but you had the fifth spot, and to remind everybody listening, this is a Yahoo standard league, five by five, three outfielders, two utility, 23 rounds, 12 teamer. With uh, head-to-head focus, you know, I can argue that it could be Roto applies for pretty much all of it as well. Maybe some slight adjustments here and there. Uh, we have Shohei Otani as two separate players, which is very frustrating to Scott Chu, who will tell you that he should be 1-1. He was saying he was a first-rounder as an individual last year, and, uh, you know, obviously that came to fruition. But here we are. You're in the fifth spot, Chu, and I want you to tell everybody why you went with Juan Soto instead of Bo Bichette or Jose Ramirez? I mean, you don't always have to do a lot of convincing with Juan Soto. Uh, I mean, he's one of the best pure hitters in baseball. Absolutely rock solid. Uh, This is a, you know, one of the few adjustments I make for a head-to-head categories league is that I'm less concerned about stolen bases. Stolen bases Mm. are streaky. Week to week, they don't always come in the way you want. So I don't worry about them as much. I don't always punt it, but I don't worry about it. And so when I'm mostly focused on the other four categories, Juan Soto kind of stands head and shoulders above, like really it's, it's almost a tear break right there. 
you could argue. The biggest thing for me coming in, though, was wondering if Ronald Acuna would go before my pick. There's obviously been some good news lately that he's, you know, he's running bases. He's, or you know, he's doing some things, he's some baseball activities. So that's got, you know, if he plays most of the season, I mean, if you get 130 to 140 at-bats out of Ronald Acuna Jr., you may very well still have the best player in fantasy. Like, that's a realistic thing. So I didn't know if I was going to have to struggle with that, but I didn't have to. He went before me, which meant I got Juan Soto. So I'm I'm going to really like picking fourth or fifth in just about every draft. Sure. Now, yeah, with Acuna, I, I think I heard that right. You were saying 130, 40 games, I think, for, for oh, yeah, 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 yeah. before. Yeah, but I uh, but. I think the, during the playoffs, he was he was talking to I think Bregman. He said Mayo. That is, he's expected back in May. Um, that has we've seen an NFBC, which is different than this. And I think we're going to do one podcast um, uh, with Fast. I think I got to talk to him about it. Um, that is going to talk about the early NFBC um, ADP. And actually, this podcast might be before or right after. I don't remember. Um, but I, but with Acuna, we've seen him go in the late of the first round because of that news, um, probably missing all of April, if not longer. So I imagine by the time we're doing drafts in March, we'll have more clarity, but Acuna won't be ready for opening day, which would mean that he is going to be behind Juan Soto. I, I, I like what you're saying as far as, um, it's a head to head league and stolen bases are kind of weird and I'd much rather, be in a position where I feel comfortable with the other four and not really chase that and just go and feast on all of the the four category hitters without having any worry about stolen bases. Um, I completely understand that. And there are many times I fall into that. And it's kind of a luxury to be able to just decide early on so that you can structure your entire draft around it. On the other side, I I hate I hate punting early in any way. Um, and just at least having the comfort that there's a good chance um, with Bo Bichette or Jose Ramirez, that I can still win a category. I mean, that's 20% of your hitting uh, in you know one week, um, that Bo Bichette and Ramirez give a much higher chance of winning that. I d- I'm not totally convinced that Juan Soto, who didn't hit 30 home runs last year, was 29, which is still great, but he had a sub-30% fly ball rate for the second straight year. And I do wonder if he can ever jump back to being that 40 home run threat. Uh, we'll see. But, uh, I mean, he needed a 36% home run with five ball rate in 2020 to hit the 13 that he hit in 47 games. So Juan Soto, to me, isn't this... Like, Vlad Jr., to me, is a much better sell in that way than Juan Soto is. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I totally see, you know, what you're saying. And, and Juan Soto actually did have a real power outage, outage to start the season. You know, through the end of May, he only had four runs, four home runs to his name. And then he kind of picked it back up and went back to his normal home run hitting pace. So mm. I actually, I do think he can get back to that. Um, I'm not just going to sit here and say like extrapolate his second half where he had like a ton more power. He hit, but three, we want to hear it anyway. We want to yeah, hear but, it. But I mean, you're, when you're talking about upside, like he had a bit of a power outage and like a rough season for him. And he finishes the third best outfielder in fantasy. Sure. Right. Like, that if if like this if this is the basement for Juan Soto I'm I'm thrilled <laughs> right like you if know, this is the healthy basement like that's what I'm paying for that's why I'm spending the fifth overall pick like I think if I was going to debate uh, someone else it'd probably be Jose Ramirez based on how third bases looked so far sure. it's an it's an ugly ugly place to be and this draft sort of reminded me of that but um but yeah that's the other one just because he's so I mean he's so good I love J Ram but like. this is going to be a splitting hairs kind of thing. I really think from here almost to the end of the first round, you're going to be in a lot of positions where you're splitting hairs. 
There's not yeah, a ton definitely. of like tier drop offs. I think that's going to happen after Vlad Jr., Tatis, Turner. Then you have to start being like, okay, you know, do I want the Juan Soto and the safety in the bat, or do I want Bobichet and get the stolen bases? Or there's an argument to be made about Bobichet just because of Vlad uh, Jr.'s no stolen bases and Tatis Jr.'s injury risk uh, can definitely push up Bobichet close to even two. Um, after Trey Turner, then it's a debate of Turner versus Bichette. I mean, yeah, anything's anything's possible. Um, I'm probably, you know, I'm I'm mostly in the safe side, but there's not a lot of bad picks after, you know, one, two, three, or really right. even after, yeah, really after like two or three, there aren't bad picks. I don't, you know, if you want to argue Tatis over Vlad Jr., fine, right? Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, you ruined it. You screwed it up. Yeah, you'll no, be happy with any of those guys, of course. Yeah, I mean, uh, the... the the top end talent's pretty deep this year. Definitely. Uh, Juan Soto, by the way, on base percentage over 400 every single year of his career. He had a 465 in 2021, which is so crazy. That's a 22% walk rate. My God. He and he barely played in double A. Oh, like he just man, showed up to the majors so and decided nuts. he was good. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. All right. So now, second and third round, you have Soto. And honestly, you did the pocket aces without having to do the pocket aces. Um, going Scherzer and DeGrom. Um, in the second and third round, it's obviously it's not the same with Degrom because it's not the same workload as say Kohler Burns, as you know the the Baffled Crazy um, method would go. But still, Scherzer Degrom, did you have a plan to do this entering the draft? No, actually, um, you know we you talked about punting a little bit before. People talk about pocket aces. <clears throat> I I try to mock draft so that I've done all of those things. Like I've gone through a mock draft where I focused on uh, punting stolen bases or punting saves or starting with two pitchers or waiting on pitching. I do mocks for all of that, but in my real drafts, I don't try to plan like come in and say, this is what I'm doing. I don't ever want to be backed into a corner like that. I want to know how to do all the other stuff, but like I wouldn't start thinking about even in a head to head league, I don't start thinking about punting steals probably until I'm like the sixth or seventh round. And by that point, if I'm like, oh, man, I have zero steals and there's not a lot of it left. You know, I pick Juan Soto to start. I'm not worried about stolen bases. I end up taking care of them in the very next round. Right. Because there's still a lot of stolen base talent out there. So like the with the pitching, I love Max Scherzer. Um, I was you know, I was hoping to get one of, you know, Burns Cole. I knew I probably wasn't going to get Burns, probably wasn't going to get Cole, probably wasn't going to get Bueller. I was sort of surprised to get Scherzer. I was sort of thinking I might go another direction, like a Freddie Freeman or something like that, but fell in my lap. I took him. And then as it came back around, I saw DeGrom was still there. And I was thinking, you know, what pitching is left before it comes back to me. There's a lot of picks going on, probably a lot of pitching going what's coming back. None of it's close to DeGrom. And I'm like, well, that's going to feel pretty safe. Then I've got my base on pitching. And if I make mistakes later, which I, kind of did a couple times um, I'm gonna be okay it's all gonna be okay because I got these two at the top it's it's really crazy how how good of a season DeGrom had 108 ERA with a 0.55 whip a sub four hit per nine I've never really seen that 391 hit per nine 45 percent strikeout rate it's it's absolutely insane obviously the question is going to be uh, how much are we going to see of DeGrom next year? And and that's a huge, huge issue. Uh, I don't know personally if I'm going to be jumping for DeGrom. I mean, I don't go for any of these guys, of course. I've, I say that often. But just the idea that uh, if I am spending on a pitcher in the first five rounds, it needs to be someone that I expect more than 130 innings from. 
you know, we're, we're, I think we're crossing our fingers for 130 or so. I mean, 98-2 this past year, he's had, it's not just one injury, too. It's just constantly his entire body is saying you're not allowed to throw 100-plus with your fastball this often. So hopefully we see that, you know, obviously through the year uh, for DeGrom. And with Scherzer, I'm curious if you had a debate internally with him and Brandon Woodruff. Just because Max Scherzer, like DeGrom, 179 innings last year, 172 in 2019, he does get, you know, if he's healthy, he's going out there and completely being a workhorse. But there's always something, you know, in the past couple of years that is holding him back. Even in 2017, he made 31 starts because there was some question mark. He had the 200 mark, but there was still a little bit of uh, things holding him back. It's just Scherzer is not getting younger, of course, as we all like to say. And expecting close to 200 is not really what we're going to see. Well, Woodruff actually could hit that mark. And I totally get that. And more innings is great. But like Max Scherzer was the number one starting pitcher in, in fantasy last year with 180 innings. I'm all, you know, I, I'm going, I'm going after that, especially in again, a 12 team league where I feel like the replacement level for those extra 20 innings is pretty high. You know, I, I think it's a different, I'm probably having a different conversation in a deeper format, like an NFBC, because, you know, especially when I'm talking about like, DeGrom even a little bit Scherzer definitely DeGrom because those innings are hard to make back up it is really like the fifth you know the 20 to 50 innings you have to get off the wire in a 15 team league are way different than the 50 innings you can get off the wire in a 12 so that was why I think I felt a little okay being more aggressive and more um, you know having more risk acceptance with a Scherzer and a DeGrom especially because again, DeGrom, I, I know I keep just spitting out 2021 rankings. He finished just like the 10th best pitcher and he threw yeah, 92 it's, innings. It's so like wild. I, I don't expect anyone to ever pitch at that level for 90 innings like ever. But if he's 75% of that for 130 innings, I feel like I've got a top 10 pitcher. Yeah. It's um. so everyone should be thinking, Nick, like you're the guy that says like, look, you can find innings on the wire. Like, don't worry about it. Go get the elite talent for the amount, you know, the, the quality of inning. You should be chasing that. And the only reason that works, that I preach it, is because you should have a core of guys that you aren't touching, that you are expecting the volume from. The only, that this is why I'm pushing back as much as I am, because if your initial core is all hurt at the same time, my strategy of constantly trying to find, you know, the next and being the guy that it gets Ray or Rodon or Wainwright or whoever, uh, Logan Webb, etc. You need to re- you need to have the safety of your core three or four guys on the other side of it. So the more risk you give of those not panning out, the the less likely I am going to go after that. That that's my only pushback, but it's not for everybody. It's it's just that that's the only reason for me. It's actually kind of interesting. Your fifth round pick kind of falls into that, too. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, I am going to go for the fourth round here. Um, Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield was really good last year, too. Yeah, he keeps doing that, right? Like, he keeps being really good. <laughs> he uh, can't help himself. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, how frustrating, right? The guy just keeps being good. He he steals bases. Uh, he hits for a good average. It That's actually a strangely difficult thing to get at the same time, right? Like a lot of the guys who aren't, you know, after the really the first and second round who steal, who can steal 30 to 40 bases don't hit for a very good average. There's only, you know, a very, very select few guys who can do that. He, you know, I feel very safe with him as my second baseman in a 
in like a deeper league, it's also nice that he has the outfield eligibility, but I don't need it in this three outfield league. He's just going to be a second baseman. I'm going to plug him in and I'm never going to worry about it again. He plays all the games. He bats at like the top of an order. Um, I think that team will be a little better coming into next season. If Mondesi ever like plays, I think they found a great thing in Nicky Lopez. I think that they can uh, just continue to be a scrappy team. And if they have to be scrappy, that means wits running. So um, I, I liked the safety there. And, you know, looking back, I'm glad I did that too, just because second base probably isn't as, as deep as I initially thought it might be as well. It's got a lot of depth, just not a lot of like high end stuff. And I was like, man, if I miss this like first two or three tiers of second baseman, I'm screwed. So I went with it. Yeah. Second base certainly is the one I think that falls off quickest um, around the seventh, eighth round um, is where it, it starts to go down. You have Max Muncy, for example, uh, in the sixth round, which to me is like the last second base I feel really good about. Jazz Chisholm went in the seventh, Tommy Edmond in the eighth, uh, DJ LeMayhew in the ninth. I'm sure I'm missing some guys that have dual eligibility in there. Uh, but it doesn't get great if you wait too long. And you have to have some sort of plan because there are fewer second basemen than there are 12 teams. Uh, or as, <laughs> Wait, I can do this. There are fewer second basemen than there are managers in your league. I got it. I can do maths or logical sentences anyway uh with merrifield it's interesting because you were talking about juan soto i'm okay punting if i need to i mean he's a guy who's still at nine stolen bases i'm not flat out punting as i should have mentioned before um with merrifield changes things now it's 40 stolen bases you got that i am curious if you had gone jose ramirez like you were maybe debating instead of juan soto do you still make this whip merrifield pick here no probably not actually um what I really liked was that combo of Juan Soto with Merrifield. I feel like that's really strong. Sure. All five categories are really covered between the two, right? So, um, and like Wit won't get a ton of RBI, but Juan Soto will. Wit will score runs. Juan, I mean, he scores lots of runs, but like I, I felt like I had a plus in every category at that point. So that was a really important combo. If I if I have Jose Ramirez there, um, I almost feel like the board's a little more open for me, which is cool. And I almost. I probably would have considered actually taking another pitcher there. Mm, I, interesting. Yeah. I, I think I might have uh, just because I just would have, I would have wanted like a little more safety there, but Whitmerfield being there made that an easier pick for me and just felt like hitting is, is nice and locked down for through four rounds. So if you don't know this guys, um, Scott Chu and I are very similar to how it's me and John Metzl are, uh, where Chu is a very, is so good at finding hitters in season, um, does the batter's box, does all these wonderful things here at Pitchos. It's one of our managers, um, has been for a while. Uh, and uh, when it comes to our approaches in season, mine is cool. I trust my ability to go get all these starters. Chu is like, I can find all the good hitters all the time. So it makes a lot of sense. You're saying, hey, I, I would even consider going three starters, second, third, and fourth, because you feel so much better. Um, picking up the slack and hitting later. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Chu. No, no, that's exactly right. Especially in this Yahoo format that doesn't require a whole lot of hitting starters compared to like an ESPN or an NFBC. I feel like hitting is is just generally kind of easy to get your hands on. There's a lot of good players in this draft that go very, very late, right? Like there are solid back-end hitters. Like not you don't want to draft your whole hitting lineup late, but like, I got, yeah, we'll talk about it later. I got Akil Badu in the 20th round, right? And I probably could have gone another round or two, right? I just really wanted to get him so that I could talk about him here. Uh, but like that, like those hitters are available. So 
it's usually easier for me to be like, all right, well, maybe I should really focus on pitching because like you said, I'm not as good at it, right? Like, especially late in the draft, I have to take a bunch of pictures and I'm just staring at essentially like your rankings and any other rankings I can find, figuring out what I'm going to do. Uh, seeing it, I, I know this name, where's he? Where do people like him? <laughs> Whereas with hitters, I have a lot more of that internal, like, I'm going to keep waiting. I'm going to keep waiting. I'm going to take, like, I can do these things and with hitting because I know I can replace a lot of this, especially when I start out with Juan Soto and Whit Merrifield. Man, I want to do a fantasy league where I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little twist on this. Now, there's a popular one saying, "Okay, let's try and do a one team gets the waiver wire." Essentially, where it's uh, this has been done, where okay, you have 11 teams and they have a 12 team that once the draft is over with 11 teams, then sucks whatever team they want, and then always has waiver priority through the year and can make as many moves, all that kind of stuff, while everyone else has a handicap. I want to do one where that team it's a head-to-head league. Either that team automatically makes the playoffs or they don't actually have a record against them until the first month of the season is over. Something along those lines to actually make this even. Because anyone that has tried that before, you're going to lose. It's just just too much of a handicap. But I wonder if, Chu, you and me, powers combined... We could we could make it work after one month of the, allowing us to swoop in um, after a month and like either like in a roto league get the stats or, or something like that give some handicaps so that we are like not behind uh, because I I gotta think I don't know I would love to just see how that would play out I've always been so curious about it and you know Miles Nelson hey another Weck league buddy let's figure it out okay we're just to indulge you for yeah. a second I think it could totally Please. work with like a best ball. Like every, they have best ball. Like they had to draft, draft and hold. They have best ball. And then you get to come in after, you know, the first month and you get to pick your team every week and see how you stack up against, you know, only using the guys on the wire every week against their locked in best ball. That's, that's a wild idea. Oh man. It it got to be like a 12 team or the 15 team. I feel like this pool is just too small with like a hundred, almost has to be 10 or something. Yeah. But anyway, uh, fifth round, as I hinted at before, is someone that is going to have a couple injury questions entering the season. Absolutely blew up in the best way uh, in season, averaging 93.5 as peak on his fastball in previous seasons. And what do you know, this past year, 95 plus had starts with 97 average on his fastball, not hitting, sitting, which is absurd. But then, of course, he flamed out by the end of the year, had shoulder problems. This person, of course, is Carlos Rodon. And here he is as your third starter. We have Scherzer, DeGrom, Rodon. All three of these guys have a considerable probability of not hitting 180 innings this year. Did you have any concerns about that with Rodon? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm being honest, this is probably the pick I regret the most. Uh, not necessarily because I think I could have gotten him later. Maybe I could have. Um, <clears throat> the biggest thing was I picked him and I was like, yeah, you know, all like how it's not hard to imagine none of these three guys getting to 150 innings, right? Like, I I don't think that's what's going to happen, but it's a very realistic thing. And that's a lot, like that's starting to be way too many innings to make up with what's left, Uh, especially because durability and work, you know, workload concerns and role concerns start happening pretty soon here. So I I probably wish I could have taken this back and maybe taken someone like a Julio Urias or something like that. Uh, this may be a little safer or Kevin Gossman, even, even though I don't like the sure. talent as much, uh, it would have been safer. I think right. I could have done that. I don't think it's like a death sentence by any means. Uh, I, I can manage this. I just need a little more luck than I probably should want. 
And the other problem with Rodon here is he's not just a durability concern, right? There's like a little bit of a performance concern if he can't get that velo back or, you know, because he tailed off so hard. I that's why I sort of regretted this one a couple rounds in, especially because I don't take another pitcher for three rounds. Yeah, I would say that uh, his his injury concerns and velo concerns are obviously tied together. Um, I think we saw moments where he could go back up to 97, 98, no problem. But it's just about the fuel in the tank and how much is left there. Uh, so I would uh, I, I'm so conflicted about Rodon. I have him at 21 of my ranks. In tier four, essentially, now I have Rodon a little bit higher. Actually, I think him and Webb are going to be really close, in my view. I would definitely, yeah, I think Urias would have been a, a better slot here. Maybe Woodruff instead of Scherzer. That makes actually this work of Woodruff to Grom Urias, I think, works really well. A little bit more security with everything. You get the quality of inning with DeGrom still. Um, that probably would have sealed it together more. There are some other guys, even like Jack Flaherty, Lucas Giolito, to me, that are way safer um, and still are great talents. Um, I prefer Flaherty over Giolito. Giolito is the uh, the prime, uh, the, the better version of Barrios to me. Um, as Frank Stample reminded me on the CBS podcast, that I essentially Giolito isn't going to be a sub three ERA guy. He isn't going to be this absolute stud, but he's not going to be a four ERA. He's the he's not a Toby, but he's the premium above that uh, when it comes to aces like Barrios is. But Giolito is a little bit better. Um, so those guys are some are, are ones I think I'm going to be targeting first. Um, but then again, I have like I have Luis Castillo ranked 18th in these October rankings, and that's not right. So Rodon will be above that. It's it's really a question of how much do you guys trust that the elite velocity is going to come back? I don't know. I hope it does. It was such a wild and crazy thing to see. You just don't see this. A guy with a career of like 93 on his fastball, averaging 96, 97 for many starts. Average 95.4 overall, including the diminished velocity at the end, is really crazy. Um, and uh, I have to believe that it won't stick, if if anything, here. We'll see where he signs and how that plays out. Um, but you probably won't need to pay fifth round for Carlos Rodon in March. Right, Stu? No, and that sort of gets to the challenge of these like super early mocks, is you know how yeah. you've ranked players. But like there aren't projections out that like it's really hard to know what your what your league mates are looking at. Right. Like who who is every like what does everyone else's list look like? Right. right. Like and and I had Rodon probably higher on my list than I should have. And and he was above like a lot of the other guys that are there. I'm like, man, this looks like a steal. And now that we've got some ADP and, and stuff like that, obviously, I could have waited if I had known that ADP on him was going to be closer to like eighth, ninth, tenth round. I, I know I don't take him there. Right. Right. But I didn't know that. And so I, I went with it again. I kind of most of my prep for this was like getting ready to take this L. Right. Like getting ready <laughs> to be like, yeah, that's not my best one. But um, again, not fatal. Like, I, I definitely think yeah, I can still work through this. Definitely. And by the way, you mentioned like, what do other people's lists look like? You would think, you know, I, I've gotten this question before. Like, Nick, you, you make your, your rankings so public. Does it hurt you in your leagues, like your hometown league? Like they know exactly who you're going to take that kind of thing. Does that hurt you? You'd be surprised to know that my friends do not care. <laughs> they don't look at mine. They don't, you know, they just do their own thing and they don't actually strategize against me in this way, which I think is, I, I, I love that because right. I'm, I'm just a dude. 
I did you know? all of the hitter rankings for us uh, last offseason, and I guarantee that exactly zero people I drafted against in all those drafts like right. looked at them once. Like, it's like no hilarious. one was like, "Oh, what hitter do I think he's going to take?" Like the only but, thing that people would know about me is like, "Okay, so he's probably going to reach for Scooble," but other than that, you know, right. I might be reaching for Scooble this year, but I will say they should have been reading your hitter list. Uh, I'll tell you that, Chum. They they dropped the ball there. Uh, sixth round, speaking of hitters, we have Giancarlo Stanton. And really, I mean, you have made a, a team here, four out of your first six picks, all injury risks here. Giancarlo Stanton obviously is a major staple of it. His injuries are... Well, it's interesting. We have 23 games in 2020. We have 18 in 2019. He still put up 139, though, this past year. The two before that, 2017-2018, 158 games each, at least. Maybe the injury bug is a little bit overblown. I mean, maybe. He has a lot of these weird injuries, too, right? Like, even earlier in his career, he missed time because he got, like, hit in the face with a ball. And he's had a lot of these weird injuries that aren't necessarily recurring. He's really hard to get a handle on injury wise. The upside's huge. Again, if I had ADP, I might've waited a little bit here uh, on Stanton. My, you know, the, the one projection I did have liked him a lot. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll take the chance. And again, I do feel like I've got a strong floor in hitting. If there's one thing I feel like I can replace in the Yahoo format, it's an outfielder. Uh, even if I have to replace him for 50 innings, I can get 50 innings of good outfield, not just in the waiver wire, but later in this draft. Right, I've got two utility spots to make one of those guys an outfielder. I'm looking good. I can replace him for any time that I need to. So I just kind of went chasing upside there. Uh, I've already done that quite a bit. Like I have a pretty strong risk portfolio uh, in through six picks. Right, like four of the first six are are potential injury risks. But I, I've been aggressive like this before in Yahoo leagues. And as long as I know that this is as long as by now I've realized this is what I've got, I can manage it. But that's a big thing is just being aware of yourself in draft, right? Like it's really easy to get in this like blinders mindset where you're in a draft and you're only thinking about the next pick and like what positions are open. But you really have to be thinking about like, what is my risk profile so far? Right? Like after the first three rounds, I'm like, ah, okay, I've got Juan Soto, you know, Scherzer's okay. You know, he should pitch. And then DeGrom, yeah. So I take Whit Merrifield. I feel like, all right, I've shorted up. Then I do two straight, like, ooh, big risk picks. So as you'll see in the next round, I'm like, all right, better lock that up a little bit. Better get a little more safety here. Definitely. I mean, this past year, 139 games, but did it matter that much? 35 home runs, 97 RBI, 273 average. The the run total did take a hit, 64. But I think that was more of a product of the Yankee offense as a whole and less of Stanton. Yes, he got base less. Often 354 on base percentage versus the 387, 403 we've seen before. Career three, uh, uh, 358, so it's not really that ridiculous. Um, he did swing a little bit more often than we've seen lately. That led to that walk rate dropping to, I think, 11% as opposed to the 167 in 2009. I mean, at the same time, I can't really lean on those because you know he only played about 40 games uh, in 2019-2020. So I guess 11%, actually, I sh- I'm being foolish here, is not that crazy given the 12% uh, uh, career mark with it. So, I mean, John Carlos Stanton, with a better Yankee offense around him, um, I hope it's under 30, 140 games. If you get that, honestly, you won't be disappointed with a six-round pick. He does have outfield el- eligibility as well. It comes up as DH in the draft board. And by the way, 
podcast notes, guys. You can look at the full draft board. There's a whole link in the description of these notes. So definitely take a look at that and follow along. But yeah, he's an outfielder. So I'm fine with this. I mean, this is about the point. I think the next round is where the last quality outfielders are gone. Um, so it was either this round or next if you wanted to get that third outfielder. Actually, your second one because Witt is going to be your second baseman. Um, so I'm fine with this. This is where Stan will likely go. Sometimes maybe even gets pushed up higher if someone is really desperate for some massive power if all the big power bats had gone. Uh, seventh round, though, you said Jose Abreu. I absolutely adore this pick. It's, 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 it's a great one. Yeah, I really wanted, like I said, to lock this down. I wanted to do some uh, risk avoidance here. I just had, you know, I'm staring at my draft board. I'm like, man, I have a lot of risk. I want to lock something down. I'm looking at first base and starting to notice that the pool is drying rapidly. And I kind of came into the draft knowing I wanted one of the top half first basemen. I didn't like waiting at first base. I I usually used to like in the past, like, oh yeah, just keep waiting and waiting and you can get, you know, uh, a CJ Crone or something like that. I no longer love that strategy. I wanted a solid first baseman, one I didn't have to worry about. It's been surprisingly hard to find them on the waiver wire uh, of late because even when you find a new young bat, they're not getting full-time playing time. Jose Abreu's in the middle of a young, strong offense. He continues to do just Jose Abreu things and being a top six or seven first baseman with upside for more. We saw that in 2020. I don't know if he'll ever finish that high again, but um, he can be a very, very good first baseman. He's very solid. And again, I want to shore up risk. And he shores up risk everywhere except for, again, stolen bases. I care less about them because I've already got a guy who's going to carry me a lot there. So, yeah, let's lock down those those five, you know, the four of the five categories and and my first base spot and move on. Yeah, uh, this gets a seal of approval from me um, because he's absolute production in four of them. It was a 261 average this past year for Jose Abreu. Yeah, maybe that gets a little bit better next year. We'll see how that works. Uh, he did hit 317 in 2020, 380, 284 in 2019. There, there's certainly the ability to go 270, 280, and not even, not even higher from Jose Abreu. I don't think that's going to go away. There's nothing in the underlying numbers that suggests that he's deteriorated as a hitter. Um, 30 home runs, 117 RBI, 86 runs. I mean, Abreu's in the middle of a really good White Sox lineup. That's not going to change. And this is the first time I'm hearing, actually, among all these mock drafts, I've gained the sentiment that I took Freddie Freeman the second round, and I, I, I get a little jealous because I look at exactly what you're talking about. C.J. Cronin in Colorado, but also Brandon Belt. You see Jared Walsh. You see Joey Votto. Uh, a lot of really interesting first basemen later on. Ryan Mountcastle, Josh Bell. And sure, some of these aren't the most exciting thing ever. There's Anthony Rizzo as well. Escobar, I think, has first base eligibility. Uh, Torque is down there, too. Dalbeck, like, so many first base options that made me think, huh, I don't need to jump at this like I used to. I used to think, like, oh, no, there's only five that I would really want to start, and I need to lock that down. Vlad Jr., Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, Goldschmidt, Alonso. I think there's someone else that also has dual eligibility in there. Um, And, of course, Abreu and Muncie. Um those are the yeah those are the ones that are stable Kyle Schwarber you can make an argument about I don't know how much you want to buy into um the the how hot he's been lately I mean definitely listen to the the podcast with people on that one but yeah Bray in the seventh round I mean if I can if I know that I can get Bray in the seventh round every draft I am 100% planning around that so full seal of approval here and definitely be on the lookout for a Bray there 
Yeah, and I mean, let, let's not forget that, like, the, these guys that are lower, yeah, you look at C.J. Crone, for example, his final numbers, you know, like, oh, that's a great first baseman. And, yeah, if you plugged him in the whole year, it was. But you didn't do that. He was right. actually terrible for stretches throughout this season. Like, whole months where he hit, like, sub 200, like, well, around 200. He was not very good. I mean, he explodes in August. He had 11 home runs in August. So wow. 11 of his 28 are in a single month, and he just goes red hot to close the season. But, you know, he probably didn't do that for the people that drafted him. Because they cut him in 12 team leagues like this. He got cut. He got caught all over the place. And it's not because people are, you know, wishy washy or whatever. It's because he was bad. You had to replace him. You couldn't keep starting him. Right. You would have lost a lot of early matchups. So like what, you know, hearing you say that is very uh, sort of uh, positive for me, because you think about you, you list those names, you list like the Schwarber, Mountcastle, Hoskins, Bell, Crone, uh, late, those kind of things. None of those guys come close to a Brayu. Like not close, like they might finish close, but in terms of like projecting and uh, like probability, like it's a bray you over all of these guys every time. Absolutely. So that's that's, that's, that's why, why I'm sitting the there. Seal of approval. Seal yeah. of approval. And, and part of that's just looking at the draft board. I'm looking at first base and yeah. being like, whoa, the, the there is a clear number one and then everything. I don't want anything else. So th- it became a very easy pick. Yeah. The number one thing if you're when you're going to the draft is understand where your cliffs are where for every position what when does it change uh round by round that you feel comfortable with certain guys and make sure that you're reaching for a certain guy at the right time or hey you don't need to go after this player because of other things really understand that so that it's not going to be okay seventh round i'm looking for this it's seventh round what is around at this point what has fallen what has changed so that you can adapt properly Uh, let's go to the eighth round and you get your third outfielder now. Uh, and we talked about this before, I think, uh, where in a three outfield league, um, or maybe we talked before before the uh, the podcast, I'm generally someone that loves to keep my third outfielder spot open because in a 12-teamer, it's the easiest one to fill. Um, however, it is interesting seeing you, the person that's going to jump onto the waiver wire a ton in season, filling it up um, with Mitch Hanniger. There are two utility spots, of course. Uh, Mitch Hanniger, 26 home runs, 90 runs, 93 RBI, 8 stolen bases, 285 average, and 157 games in 2018. But then got hurt, had his disappointing 2019, missed all of 2020. I had written him off. I thought that even if he had was playing to some degree that he was going to get injured again. But 157 games, 39 home runs, 110 runs, 100 RBI, 253 average for the Mariners. I mean, is this just a, an ultra talent now? Do we just expect that he's going to go out there and dominate again in 2022? I mean, no, but also why not? Right. Like he, <laughs> the, the powers, the power's been real, right? Like that had never really faded. It was, you know, especially in 2019, it was like the contact kind of went away. He comes back this year. I mean, again, you can't, I think a lot of people um, forgot how good Mitch Hanniger was last year. Like he was unbelievable. I don't draft him expecting all that because if I was expecting all that, I never would have gotten him in the eighth round. And normally, yes, I like to wait on outfield, but I looked again. This was one of those situations where I'm looking at the outfielders that are still on the board. I'm looking at, you know, what my roster is looking like. And I see, you know, on the board, there's Hanniger. And then, you know, I felt like a lot of big drop off options in terms of risk. They either had more risk or they had, like similar risk, but lower upside, right? Because Mitch Hanniger's upside is obviously what we saw, maybe a little less than that, but like, give me Hanniger over Conforto, Meadows, Bellinger, Framil Reyes, um, 
you know, who's had injury issues and things like that, it, you know, and Definitely. then there's, you actually don't see a lot of outfielders getting taken in this big chunk of the draft. And that's sort of because there was a big teardrop off there. And I'm glad I got the last piece of it. Yeah, no, it's another seal of approval because of that. There really isn't anything uh, else to chase at this point. Uh, Framil Reyes is very interesting. The twelfth round, I got a seal for uh, for Chris Weber, but uh, with Hanniger, it is a little bit of a different guy. Swung more aggressively. Those swings were higher. I mean, it was a three year gap between him being successful in 2018 and 2021. But OBP dropped dramatically, 366 in 2018 to just 318 this past year, which does make me very concerned about the run total. I think the 110 that we saw doesn't quite add up uh, to me. And that, that really should drop off significantly uh, in 2022 if he's going to be a 318, 320 OBP guy. 25% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate. It, it does make a little bit of sense in that regard. Uh, that he you know doesn't get on base as often as you'd like with that 253 average should have been a little bit higher, but that's another point. Uh, it's yeah, I mean Handiger should be producing in a Seattle lineup. He hits the ball hard, <laughs> and he's likely going to swat a ton of home runs with good counting stats again, and that's really good to get uh, for your third outfielder. Oh yeah, I mean just take 20% off the top of his home runs, run scored, and RBI, and I feel like this is still a really really good pick, right? If he does yeah. everything like you did last year and you just take, but you take 20% of the run production and home runs away. I still am like, all right, great pick. Sweet. Glad to be yeah, here. That's 85 uh, runs in 80 RBI. And that's still pretty good, um, which is actually pretty much what steamer gave of 88 runs and 84 RBI. But we're going to move on to the ninth round where you go after Lance McCullers jr. So you go for your fourth starter at this point. Um, it's not quite the time to go after closers in your mind yet, which is totally fine. Um, now, the guys that had just gone off the board, we had a slew of them in the eighth round, but you decided to go Hanniger instead. And then coming back, we still had Charlie Morton on the board, Pablo Lopez, Blake Snell, Zach Gallons, Tyler Molly, and Luis Garcia. And you went after the free agent Lance McCullers. How do you feel about this? I, I feel good. Um, I, I like McCullers' skill set. I, I think, you know, I, I love watching him pitch. Uh, and also, I'm sort of in a, again, another sort of risk, you know, definitely a risk pitcher here uh, in terms of innings and everything. And I, I sort of leaned into it again, uh, which isn't always a great idea. But, you know, here we are. I'm, I'm staring at the board. We're starting to get to a lot of pitchers who I maybe haven't seen a whole lot of or that I know are high risk. So there there may have been there may have been uh, some some better picks here. Uh, you can argue about it, but I, I liked McCullers. I knew him best. I, I love the quality of inning that he has. So I just kind of I kind of went for it there and I don't regret it terribly. Like, I think now I might have sort of thought more maybe about like a, a Pablo Lopez or something like that. But here we are. Yeah. So quick re- correction on my end. Uh, not not a free agent. He signed an extension with the uh, the Astros for five years. That's my bad. Um, but uh, yeah, Lance McCullers also had the forearm injury. This was a draft before then. So keep in mind that uh, we had no information about that injury, um, which does scare us a little bit more. We just don't know what that's going to look like for next year, uh, if that's going to linger at all. So obviously there will be some adjustment in ADP as we see Lance McCullers pitch and all the the news of, hey, everything is fine. I'm okay. He's still 28 innings. Sorry, 28 games started this year, 162 innings, not a workhorse type. Um, I think I'd be leaning more Charlie Morton, as you brought up, uh, just because he's been always excellent, um, or at least has been when he's pitched, save for the weirdness of 2020. 
Uh, and I, I have to think that he's coming back for another year, and it's going to be a much better whip than the 122 we saw last year from Lance McCullers. Never had a whip under 115 for McCullers. Um, the walk rate went up to 11%, which doesn't help things. This past year, it's it, it was a little disappointing in the fact that the uh, the new slider from Lance McCullers wasn't as consistent as I wanted it to be. Essentially, on a given start, it was very rare to see both the curveball and the slider work in tandem it was either he had one of them and then went with that pitch which is good as a safety valve that's why I think that McCullers had a 316 ERA the best he's had in his career is because of that slider but I thought it might elevate him higher with especially with the walk rate because uh, at least bring that down the whip down because if you had both of those pitches working on a given night then it just makes it for a much better approach guys are going to be on their toes a lot more and we didn't really see that I still had to rely on his fastball a little too often uh, with a 65% strike rate, 293 batting after loud on it. And the strike rates of the curveball and slider are good a little in the low 60s. I, I wanted them to be more of a high 60s, and he can rely on that more getting his outs. Uh, so it, it's it's almost there with Lance McCullers, uh, but he still needs to, I hope that he can really work those two pitches, the cutter and the, sorry, the curveball and the slider more often um, so he can take that next leap. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see it. And I don't know how many innings we're going to see of it. But after Morton, yeah, I'm taking McCullers before I think Pablo Lopez, Snell, Gallon, Mali, Garcia. So on both sides, just that one flip is the only real criticism I have. But if you want to go for a starter, your fourth starter here in the ninth, McCullers is a solid option. Yeah. Again, I would have liked it more if I didn't have so much risk already, which may, yeah. you know, I'm not sure how much Morton mitigates that. But I mean, it it's that's roster construction for you. Like you right. Morton is risky too. I'm not going to say that yeah. he's not, but uh, I think as far as if they both play the full, you know, uh, it's not like one is more risky than the other as far as yeah. injury concerns. And then Morton, I think it just has a better um, foundation right now to expect a higher quality per inning and also more probably uh, more ton. That's why they call him that. I'm so sorry, everybody. Next round is the 10th. And you thought, okay, you know what? Finally, Finally, says Scott, it's about time I got a closer. Who was it? Uh, Emmanuel Klaus, and I loved it. He was lights out as the closer this season. It, it's crazy the the amount of closing grossness that Cleveland's been able to pull out. And, you know, because Karen Check in 2020 was lights out. I mean, he's just super nasty yeah. coming out of the bullpen. And then he was struggling. So, like, all right, we'll get this other guy. And what's this other guy do? He comes out, gets 24 saves, appears in 71 games with a 1.29 ERA and a 2.11 fit. <laughs> he was just nuts. They could not hit the ball hard against him. Uh, he just he did not give up home runs, everything Cleveland wanted in a guy. So uh, I think Cleveland is a decent team. I think that they're in a division that is improving, but still maybe not super strong. I think that this is his job to lose going into next season. I think he's a 30, you know, he's going to, I think to me, be a sub three ERA guy with 30 plus saves. Yeah. I mean, uh, so Klaus, it's weird to see only a 27% strikeout rate from him. Uh, It's wild when he throws this cutter that's at a hundred miles per hour on average. 100.3, 100.3, but just, you know, just a 31% CSW, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but you would think that this would be just the most overwhelming pitch ever. 67% strikeout, sorry, uh, 69% uh, strike rate, which is really good. You have a slider that misses bats at a 24% rate. Like you think that this would be 
a higher strikeout rate. That's probably what we'll see next year. If that's your hesitation with with Klaus A, then like don't have that. <laughs> it should improve over time. A 17% overall swing strike rate. Uh, and he is obviously the clear guy in, in Cleveland. I'm actually kind of shocked that Iglesias, Chapman, Diaz, Presley, and Jansen all went before Klaus A. Um, a cool thing that came out on the site, which is obviously there now that you're listening to this in December, but just this past week, uh, for saves plus holds leagues, uh, Rick Graham put out his rankings, and Klaus A is eight. The only non-closer here is Devin Williams, so that would mean seven would be Klaus A. Craig Kimbrell's at six, so you can even make an argument that maybe you want six for Klaus A, and that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You got him as the eighth. So in Rick's mind as a closer chasing, yes, you did the right thing. You got the right guy, uh, Scott Chu. Um, I'm all for this. If you can get 10th round, Klaus A, I think you should be very, very happy. I think it's a seal of approval, honestly. Yeah, I, I think uh, that especially in deeper leagues, he's going to go earlier than this. Like I yeah. would expect him definitely to go in the first 100 picks. I think a big part of this was projections aren't out. And if all you're doing is sorting by number of saves, his is pushed down a little bit because he didn't have the job right away. So this is one of those people talk about, like you, you might often wonder like, why do people do NFBC drafts now this early, right? Like you have so little information at this time. And it's because while you do take on a ton of risk of not knowing where guys are going to play, how they're going to play, you get little gems like this where a player falls farther than they should. And much farther than they will three weeks later, right? Just because more projection systems comes out as, as like the bat comes out and ATC and, and de- you know, all those other ones come out. We're going to have these big shifts because people are going to be looking at those projections. They're going to be updating rankings with new information, but we don't have that yet at this point. So there's, there's these little gems that you can sort of grab. Uh, and later people look back and be like, man, I can't believe you went that far. And it's, it's like, well, we didn't know ADP yet. We didn't have projections yet. Yeah, it, it's the fun of saying, look, I am going to do this draft because I believe in my ability uh, on my own. And that's a cool thing to be able to do for NFBC. Uh, we're going to move on to the 11th round. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. So 11th round, you got Yasmani Grandal, and I don't know if you listened to it, Scott Chu, um, but at First Pitch Arizona, I, I was very lucky and very honored that I got to join the uh, the Launch Angle podcast with Rob Silver and Jeff Zimmerman, where they did the mock of our mock, um, where they essentially took the rounds 11 through 16, where the, and they drafted a player from each round, saying, if I were in this position 11th round, who do I want? 
And the number one pick for the 11th round, by far, after I said Will Smith, because I felt like he was the last closer to go, was Jasmani Grandal. And it was just so obvious to them, like, how could anyone allow Jasmani Grandal to go to the 11th round? How excited were you getting Grandal here? Absolutely thrilled. So, again, in in single catcher leagues, you've got to find there's only one tier you care about. It's the first tier. What is and, and actually, I guess I'll technically say two tiers because Sal Perez is his own tier because huh. he plays, you know, he gets a bazillion plate appearances and is eligible catcher and is a good hitter. So like sure. there's him. And then there's this one, like there's one other tier that you probably care about. And then after that, in one of these leagues, you're pretty much on the steam, like on the streamer. Like there's only like five or six guys that are probably above the streamer threshold. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, all right. On my rankings, like, what am I looking at? I've got Grandall as the number four catcher, and it's not terribly close after that. It's like Sal Perez, Will Smith, JT Realmuto, Yasmani Grandall, everybody else. Right. Right? Like, to me, that's where it is. And so I'm sitting here in the 11th round. Again, sometimes I'm not, like, a lot of times coming up to a pick, I'm not, I don't want to just be targeting positions, right? Like, you do have to do that, especially later in the draft. That becomes a very important thing to do to fill your roster. But this is, these are still, like, the mid-rounds. And I love being able to say, like, look at each position and be like, is there a hard teardrop here? Especially if I haven't addressed that position yet. Like, I'm looking, I take Yasmani Grandal here, and he's head and shoulders above any other catcher that's going to go, right? Every other catcher that goes from here is like, you know, like if you look at the 15th round, it's pretty late. We see three catchers go there, and Wilson Contreras and Gary Sanchez and Kiebert Ruiz, gross, right? Wilson Contreras don't <laughs> like it, but like, yeah, Gary Sanchez. You're saying that, you're saying that because of Gary. You say, yeah, Gary Sanchez is the one that you're saying gross. Kiebert Ruiz yeah. is actually kind of an interesting one um, in the 15th round. <laughs> Talked about about that with Weber again, but I will also mention 11th round was Buster Posey, which at the time was not retired. Yeah. So there was that consideration too. Yeah. There was, um, but, but like catcher just becomes, I mean, it's a, it's a hard drop off and there's like a 0% chance that assuming he's healthy all season, that any catcher drafted after Yasmani Grandal ends up better than Yasmani Grandal. Right. Right. I just don't see that as long as Grandal is healthy or something, you know, weird doesn't happen. He's going to be a top four catcher, like just will be. And I can do that in the 11th round. He's a good regular hitter, right? Like, he had some real weird stat lines this season yes. where he had like 20% walk and strikeout rates. It wasn't doing anything that went away. He went back to being regular. He has Monty Grandall. You just don't get much better than this at the catcher position. He's on a good team. I, you know, I already said that once before when I was talking about Abreu, he hits in a great lineup spot for a catcher. It's a slam dunk. And, and I did listen and I was super thrilled that they picked like two <laughs> of my guys, very validating. Right. Like, I feel like I still sort of know how to play fantasy baseball. There you go. Uh, so, so that was fun. But yeah, this was actually probably my easiest pick of the draft because I had sort of had him on my board. Like, this is the last of the good catchers. And how late can I go with him still on my in my queue? And I got to this pick and I was like, oh, he's still there. We're done. Yeah, I was pretty Catcher. upset seeing him gone. I remember this in the 11th round. Uh, I took Kenley <laughs> because I didn't want to be the one that got Will Smith or Grendel. I was like, oh, I'll wait till next round. I'm sure one will be there. Nope. Not going to happen. Um, but uh, 23 home runs at 93 games last year. 240 average. And that flipped a bit for it to be a 420 OBP because of a 23% walk rate for Grandal. Absolutely nuts. Uh, seal of approval. You got one. Now, I've spoiled you with uh, with seal of approvals. Okay? This is not, honestly, it's it's I've given you a lot. Because this is a really nice job here. Abreu, Hanniger, Class A, and uh, Grandal. 
amazing four hitters or four four guys here in five rounds. I don't know if I'm going to be giving you that, but we'll see. We'll see moving forward. Willie Adamas, 12th round, you don't have a shortstop. So you decided, okay, I'm not going to take the chance on Bobby Witt Jr. I feel like now is the time to go chase Willie Adamas. Obviously, we all know the story here. Adamas gets traded to the Brewers from the Rays and absolutely demolishes. End of the season, 25 home runs, 77 runs, 73 RBI, five stolen bases, 262 average. Is Adamas going to be able to carry over into 2022 exactly where he started here in Milwaukee? I mean, this fantasy roster really hopes so, right? (laughs) It's it's a good hitting environment. He's you know he's got a pretty good top half of the lineup around him. Uh, I, I don't I don't think he's going to be like quite as good. As obviously, like, I know that's such like a cop out thing to say, like, well, he won't be quite as good. Like, I won't, I'm not going to, you know, but he will rate it out. (laughs) Yeah. But, but I mean, he was, he was very good. Right. Like, I think the only thing that has me kicking myself a little here is, is number one, I did want to get a shortstop earlier and then I just didn't. And there's, again, this is another position with a real hard tier break. Like I actually had really been hoping to get like a Jorge Polanco. I thought I had another round on him. I took Jose Abreu, so I don't feel bad about it. I really thought I'd get like maybe Polanco to come back and I did not. And that made it difficult. Um, But like after a Jorge Polanco, there's this huge drop, this huge drop of these guys who I think will be decent back end shortstops, but also like probably not top shortstops. Um, I didn't want to take the risk on Bobby Wood Jr. If I had known I could get Dansby, like Dansby Swanson doesn't go until the 16th round. Yeah, that's nuts. That's really Yeah, good. that like and this so this is actually a really interesting thing that happens in a lot of Yahoo leagues. Like there there's certain positions that will have a tier right around like 12 to 5 like the 12th or 15th best guy at the position and there's this tier and like the last guy like everybody already got their second baseman and there's no right. middle infield or quarter infield. So like one of those guys like a Dansby Swanson or a Willie Adamas will just like sit forever. That position yep. won't get touched for rounds and it's shortstop, right? Like how many shortstops got drafted after Adamas and Witt Jr.? I think it's like two. Yeah, right? very few. I mean, O'Neill Cruz is a really fun one in the 22nd. Uh, there is, I think, does Cronenworth have it? I think he might. Brendan Rogers, yeah. yep. uh, a couple others maybe have that dual eligibility that we're not <laughs> seeing on this draft board, but yeah, very few. Yeah, very few. So like, should have been more attentive to be like, you know, if I don't take Willie Adamas here, I probably still can get him or Dansby Swanson and just sure. keep waiting. Um, technically, I picked another guy with shortstop eligibility in the yeah, 14th two picks round, later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is pro- also probably early, but this is probably the earliest you'll see Willie Adamas go. And if you want to, you know, if you find yourself in a position where you sort of need to like, uh, you know, you're not going to get one of the top 10 or so shortstops. Um you almost have to like if, do a couple mocks. You'll get into a mindset of like, if you don't have one by like the 10th round, just stop worrying about it because right. like, there's not going to be a ton of difference. And in a Yahoo league, like not that many more are going to go. Like how much different is it between Adamus Cronenworth and Swanson? Like just yeah. not much, right? Like these are very similar sort of like similar outcomes. So like, I kind of wish if I could go back, I'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to keep picking other positions. And not worry about shortstop because what, like I just have to get one of these three guys and I'm fine. And I'll just wait until two of them are gone and then take the third one, whoever it is. Sure. Yeah. Bobby Witt is a very interesting one that you could have taken to before. Cause obviously that's a big upside ceiling play. We just don't know what's going to happen with Kansas city, Nikki Lopez and Witt, And they have 
uh, Deberto Mondesi, and they have options there that maybe they don't fr- uh, bring up a whip. But we really wanted him to uh, in March of last year, and so it was really disappointing to see that they didn't. But that aside, I mean, Willie Adamas hopefully is a player that can actually really you know build upon the uh, the new time in in Milwaukee, uh, and we'll see how that plays out. Uh, I don't know if, like you said, Willie Thomas to me isn't really a 12th round guy that I would be chasing after. I actually even wondered if you might have been better off. Uh, I mean, this is, we don't get this luxury, but we only do talking about drafts. If, for example, instead of Rodon, you went after Corey Seager or Tim Anderson or maybe Wander Franco, whatever you wanted to do there. And then in this round, taking Chris Bassett, who went right after, uh, that might have been a better pairing for you. Uh, but then again, your benefit is getting guys off the wire, so maybe not. Uh, just something to think about there. Uh, Jared Kelenic, 13th round. Uh, you're going back to the outfield well with a young young player here. Kelenic was not good at first and then exploded for a moment uh, in the later half of the season. What do you see for Kelenic? I see a lot more than Steamer does. That's for sure. Um, you know, steamers got him projected for 22 home runs, like some modest runs in RBI, 12 steals, which is nice. And like a 233 average. I really liked what I saw in the last month of the season, obviously from, uh, Jared Kellenick. I know it was just not the season, uh, anybody was hoping for, right. But he does hit seven home runs in, uh, September. He, he does a lot of things that I want to see him do in the month of September, and like, I'm, I'm all about it, right? Like he, he kept walking, like as the season went on, like the last two months of season, he walks at least 10% of the time he gets a strikeout rate under control. That was a big problem early in the season. He goes down, he comes back up and he gets the strikeout rate under control. And once he started doing that, it really became for me sort of a, okay, now we're ready. I love seeing players make that adjustment in season. I'll talk about that more with another outfielder I drafted, but you love to see guys make the growth. Like I'd hate to go into this off season thinking he just needs to cut the strikeout rate down, right? Because he has to do it behind closed doors, right? I have to hope that he did it. I get to actually now see on the field. He actually did what I really wanted to see as that like next growth step. I wanted to see the walk rate stay the same or maybe go up a little. And I wanted to see the strikeout rate go from like, it was probably like 40 something percent coming into August and have that come down to be like a sub 30% strikeout rate with the 10% walk rate. That's a great play discipline profile. You can make growth with that. Right. Yeah, so it, he does he's that. Definitely someone. Goal. Yeah. He's definitely someone in a 12 teamer. Yeah. Upside plays. This is what we talk about. Don't overlook the 181 average and everything. Like, I mean, it's yeah. Jared Kellenick clearly has his best years ahead of him in some way. Um, how much it is, is a good question mark. It, it's really a, a, a situation of, what other things do you have to go and chase at this point? Uh, I could make an argument that you could go. I mean, I'm trying to even figure out what else you would go for. You don't have a third baseman, but there really isn't definitive one. I mean, Chapman, Donaldson um, both went before your next pick. So maybe there was something there for that. Um, uh, Nelson Cruz went in the early part of the 13th round that I was so upset about. And I'm sure you were too. Maybe. I don't know. I was. I, I was. Mean, Nelson Cruz, man. He's Nelson Cruz. Such a good pick there. But. Uh, it, it's it's just put yourself in a position where you are chasing things like Kellenic. I, I I want to say 13th is early, but I always think that upside guys go too early uh, because I just want to enjoy them in the 16th and 17th or later. And we don't always get that luxury when Kellenic was such a highly touted prospect entering this year. So uh, it might be where you need to get him if you feel comfortable that whatever you get for the rest of the draft that you might have to drop or you have a lot of options. Kellenic around this time is fine. 
Um, but yeah, definitely make sure that it's, you know, your team uh, that you're building correctly uh, for your situation. And that's a really important point because this pick only works because he's actually my fourth outfielder. Right. Because right? I've got Soto, I've got uh, Stanton, and I've got Hanniger already locking up the outfield spots. He's yep. a util guy. If it doesn't work out, I'm not trying to replace an outfielder. I'm trying to replace a utility. That's a very right? good point. And, and I can, you know, I still had a couple hitting targets on my draft board because I was like, all right, for the last two or three guys on my bench for hitting, I can just throw darts. Right. I can yeah, throw exactly. a bunch of darts. I've, I feel really good about what I've got so far. So I'll just throw some darts and see what ha- see what happens. Right. Like definitely. I, I like Kellen. I think there's a lot of upside there. And if it doesn't work out, who cares? All right. So we have 10 picks left here and we might go a little bit long on this podcast. Uh, we have Eugenio Suarez, the guy we hinted at being a shortstop because he played shortstop. That happened. Uh, Suarez, uh, obviously a major power play. Uh, 31 home runs still. People might forget that. Yes, the 198 average was not fun, but it was Joey Gallo-esque at shortstop which is a very interesting play here. Hopefully the average can come up. I mean, keep in mind, 2018, 2019, over 270 average in both seasons. Then, of course, 202 in 2020, 198 this past year. Still had the power, but is it going to hurt once again as he brings down your average? I mean, he is going to bring down your average. Let's let's get that right out of the way. Right, <laughs> this, this, you know, like I think like today, if I, we did a mock, I'd be able to get him later. Still targeting him. Let me tell you, like, there's one, I got like one thing I really got to hang my hat on, like late in season doing the Hacks and Jacks podcast, which I hope you all listen to a little bit. It comes out. Uh, oh, yeah. Thursdays. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't promo this enough. Guys, you know, Scott Chu's voice. He's on the Pitchless Podcast Network um, with Joe Galena and Scott Chu. Been doing it all season long. Uh, they've been on the main feed now for the offseason. You said Thursdays they come out, correct? Yep. Definitely be listening to them. Hitter focus podcast, you know, so fast and I do on the corner. It's all about pitching hacks and jacks all about hitting. So definitely give a listen to that. Yeah. And so one thing I called out was like, you know, towards the end of August, early September, I said, look, Eugenio Suarez has been an absolute, you know, he's been terrible uh, in terms of batting average, but like he has found some power later in the season and he started bringing like the strikeout rate didn't get worse, right? Obviously it was like almost 40% through the first month of the season. It starts climbing back up, but he's like still not hitting for power. He's still terrible, but just, it just starts happening really in the end of August. Like, and then in September, he went on, he went nuts in September, right? He had a 220 WRC plus. If you want to summarize it that way, he slugged 808 in the month of September. He just went off on fire. He's shortstop eligible. He's third base eligible third base especially being a a tricky position if i could have like if i i was worried i wouldn't be able to get him later so i just jumped in now uh but yeah i was i loved i loved making this pick because i think there's a lot of upside here and again this is there's not a whole like there's no point in going safe here at third base there isn't safe at third base or or really shortstop at this point in the draft so i went swinging for the upside and if it doesn't work out, again, it doesn't work out. These are util guys for me, basically. Well, he's actually going to start at third base for now, but sure. um, he's he's almost in effect a util because I'll probably swap him out if I have to later. Right. There's there's Ty France in the 21st round, which to me is kind of safe at third base. I uh, I feel like there's a Toby of hitters with some upside to him still for the Mariners. Um, but, I mean, Suarez is someone that should be at least – you should be aware of. I think his low average 
is going to turn away a lot of people. But that ability is still in there. I mean, the guy still hits the ball hard. <laughs> and maybe he can't figure out that striker rate as he's showcased in the later part of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And like, yeah, between him and like Yasmani Grandal, I've got some batting average risk. Mitch Hanniger to an extent, maybe, although he had a good batting average last year. But like, I've got Jose Abreu, Jose Abreu, Juan Soto, and Whit Merrifield at the top. I got batting average, yeah, right? And, and batting average in head-to-head categories leagues is a really weird one because guys like Suarez don't lose you the category every week. What they actually do is drag you down a bunch of weeks and then like win it for you in other <laughs> weeks because they hit like sure. five home runs, right? And end up hitting for a high batting average because they they run hot and cold. So it's this weird quirk. It's hard to really incorporate into your strategy, but it's a thing to think about when you're doing these head-to-head leagues. The batting average is not a constant. Definitely. And I'm really upset, I mean, that I didn't predict this next pick. I should have, but I didn't. Um, and he's actually someone that's going to be on uh, a lot of my list, I think, um, come spring. And that's Tarek Skubal, who I think something I say often is uh, we don't understand when we're watching development. You know, we talk about it. A guy is going to, you know, oh, he's going to develop further this year. He's going to improve. But, you know, it's like Andy Bernard from The Office saying, how do you know when you're in the golden years? How do you know that this is going on at this present moment, right? And that's what Scooble did this past season. 434 ERA, 126 whip, 26% strikeout rate. I think a lot of people are going to see this and say, oh, well, those numbers are kind of worse than it was in the 32 innings we saw in 2020. It doesn't really seem like he's taken that step forward. But I think we saw a lot of things to to enjoy, and I want you to go through all of it. I I love Scooble. I've never been quiet about it. Uh, congratulations. He just got married. Uh, I saw yeah. that on social media. Uh, congrats to Tarek Scooble. Uh, I have an embarrassingly large collection of Tarek Scooble baseball cards. <laughs> uh, actually, on my birthday, I bought front row tickets to Tigers Cardinals because guess who was pitching? Tarek Scooble, right? I was, I was like, say right Casey behind- Mize. Uh, I'm shocked to hear it was Scooble. Wow. Yeah, I, I just I mean, I, I love I mean, a lot of it. What I love about it is just stuff I love about baseball like this. this like, you know, hard throwing left hander with this big high leg kick. His name is Tarek. Uh, his last name also has a K. I love it. I just love yeah. everything about it. Um, and, you know, one thing about Tarek Skubal and, and this isn't like super in-depth pitching analysis. I'm no Nick Pollock, but one thing I want to get people away from is just looking at like first and second half splits, because it's going to give you this, like this thought that Scooble was this slightly above four ERA pitcher all season. And that's right. not at all what the reality nope. of Scooble was. Scooble was a guy that kept coming in and out. That's why he's got these, like, if you look at the month by month, which is also not an ideal way to do this, but for him, the calendar kind of lines up sort of around his good and cold spells. So like early in the season, he has a six ERA like in April. Right. And you're like, oh, he just doesn't have it. He's given up like way too many home runs. He gives up like eight home runs that month. And really home runs are sort of like the core of his problem. He starts to become predictable. He starts leaving stuff in the zone, especially that fastball and right, especially right-handed hitters, but really everybody, they get to tee up on that, send it away, especially when he can't, you know, really for him, it's command. His misses tend to be like right over the heart of the plate instead of way off. So it's not so much that he'll like walk a bunch of guys as much as it is. He'll give up meatballs that guys just crush. Right. So Uh, What you see is, yeah, he has this rough March, April, and then he has like a low three ZRA for like May through June, right? Like much, much better. He gets the home run problem under control. He's striking guys out, doing a lot better. Then, of course, in July, home runs come back up again, right? He gives nine home runs that month, right? 
That's like, obviously that's a big problem. He's not even walking guys, right? Because again, his misses are like right in the middle of the plate. So they just send those things out. And then, you know, then again, to close the season, he ends up being, you know, he has another month, August. He's much, much better. Three, two, five ERA. And then of course, September, October, he's given up the home runs again. Um, he's getting hit around just a little bit more. Uh, he doesn't throw as many innings. They sort of shut him down. But anyway, yep. we saw like pitches kind of came. I mean, you'd know this better than anybody. He had pitches that kind of came in and out throughout the year that he Absolutely. really lose. He loses feel of them throughout the season. But when he gets them back, you see it. You see that that guy who can be this like low three ERA, like good strikeout number guy. And all I'm hoping for and he, you know, I'm really hoping to see those moments just last a little longer. That's what I'm looking for, especially going into next season. I want to see those last just a little longer, get a couple more games before you lose feel. Because as he continues to grow as a pitcher, he loses that pitch less and less, and he gets better at managing without that pitch more and more as he goes through more games. Yeah, that's great, too. Um, the only really thing I want to add is uh, we saw moments where it was 55-56 on the, on the four-seamer as opposed to 94-95, and he excelled in those games. Um, and also that the changeup, oh, the changeup is the last element to me. I think he really came into his own with the slider this year, increased his CSW a lot, increased his strike rate to 68%. I mean, 30, 31% CSW. It's just a solid offering for him, two or three batting average allowed. But it's a changeup. The changeup just needs to get more strikes. It's a 51% strike rate right now. And that made it tough for him to uh, really rely on it as a proper strike getting offering as your third that's what you want when you have we have a good one and your number two in a slider you just want a third one that you can get a lot of effective strikes with this changeup isn't quite there yet we saw some starts where it was and that really benefited him but there were some starts it was just fastball slider and that really wasn't very good uh the curveball only 46 47 percent strike rate and that was actually the pitch i was really excited about at first really nice shape to it but he really improved the slider. I think that became that offering, and that's okay. Uh, maybe at one point the curveball does come back. It can become like a 10% called strike offering, like Scherzer's, for example. It's shown me curveball. But uh, for now, we're hoping that that change takes the next step. And I would love to expect, you know, I, I expect him to go 100, 780 innings next year. And Derek Scoobal can be a really strong four or five um, for your staff. Uh, he's going to be grouped together for me with like Logan Gilbert and Josiah Gray and Patrick Sandoval and all of those fun ones. So I personally don't feel I need to jump at him and go get him. But I mean, those guys all went before him uh, in this one. John Means went after though. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if I would do that one. But still, Tarek Skubal should be going around these middle rounds. And I'd feel very great having him as my number five, um, as you did. Uh, we who we got to blaze through this. Okay. Avisel Garcia, 16th round. You had to go back and get another hitter, didn't you? I did because he's really good. Uh, <laughs> Avisel Garcia, one of my favorite stories from last season, and this is something we covered in math, which was our spring training, a mechanical adjustment uh, tracker for hitters. Yes. Um, we went through these guys, you know, best shape, you know, who had the best shape of their life. And you can't just look at those and assume something's going to be better, right? Cedric Mullins was the real star because we know the thing he did, right? They've talked about it over and over. He started, st he stopped switch hitting, only hit from the left side. Avi Garcia did something that was actually incredible too. So Avi Garcia in 2020 had a bit of a rough year. He was actually the starting center fielder for the Brewers. Do you know what his size was? No. 6'4", 280 pounds. As a center fielder, you know, that's Frank Thomas. 
Frank Thomas oh is 6'5", 280. Right. Avi Garcia was just Frank Thomas playing center field. That's nuts. He lost like 40 pounds in the offseason. Wow. Something like that. He loses a ton of weight, gets svelte again. Right. I mean, for a guy that's six, <laughs> four and just like solid muscle. Right. Like little Miggy. And he has a great season. Right. So he was really, really strong last season. Again, this is a thing where remember how I said, I don't care if Kellenic doesn't make it. It's because I got guys like this later. Obviously, obviously, Garcia finishes the 26th outfielder last season, right behind like Jesse Winker, right ahead of Ryan Mountcastle, ahead of Kyle Schwarber, ahead of Chris Taylor. Like he was better than those guys. He he was really, really good. Yes, he's had a streaky career. Um, that's simply because he he hits the bat he hits the ball really, really hard, right? He also hits it on the ground a lot. So his BABIP can get really weird. If you look at his like career BABIP, it goes like back-to-back seasons. He had a 392 BABIP and then a 271 BABIP, right? Like it changes, his like batting average changes by like 100 points. We've seen him real topsy-turvy because he does rely quite a bit on batted ball luck by pounding the ball between the shortstop and the third baseman. But anyway, he had 29 home runs, eight stolen bases, still available, um, somewhat durable, not super durable. He's probably more like a 130 game guy than like a 140 or 150. But this shores up the back of my, you know, the back of my outfield. And I got a guy with top 30 outfield upside to really shore up that last spot I had with Kellenic. Yeah, I mean, he's a solid player. Um, I don't know if you needed it, but uh, I know you can't help yourself. You're like me in this way, just for hitters. Or I'm like, I just want to get all the pitchers now. And you're like, but there's all these hitters. So I got to do that. Avisal Garcia has had bouts of health issues. That's really the biggest thing that's held him back over the years. Does not have a season above 140 games. Actually has one, and that was 2015, I should say. Uh, that's that's an issue. 135 this past year. Did go 53 in 2020, 125 in 2019, 93 in 2018, and so on. Um, and hasn't quite had that one magical season. It was a really good season. 29 home runs, 68 runs, 86 RBI. 262 average and actually eight stolen bases as well in 135 games. That's really good. Yeah. So hopefully we get that long season from Avisel Garcia, but uh, it's also a question of quality per game, which might be really good here considering that he almost hit 30 home runs in 135 uh, games. So let's, uh, let's hope that he is healthy. Um, I, I definitely get it. 16th round here going for Garcia and I hope it plays out well for you. Uh, Wade Miley. In the 17th round is the start of three straight starting pitchers. Why did you go Wade Miley first? I felt safe in his arms. Well, in <laughs> it's his good arms. That, yeah, it's good that you feel safe, you know? Um, I'm glad. I, I like him a bit. Uh, at least I did at the time. And <laughs> I'm sort of like wondering if I shouldn't now. Uh, honestly, uh, this, this part of the draft is where I have to admit my weakness. I'm really just looking at rankings around, looking for names I guess I sort of know and uh, seeing mm. what happens, right? And Wade Miley was a name that I sort of liked, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, uh, I, I will say for Wade Miley, through the end of the year, I mean, through August 27th, I should say, had a 274 ERA, which is absolutely nuts, a 122 whip. Then to start September, had four innings against the Cardinals, allowed five earned runs with 13 base runners. And his last two starts of the year were on the 14th and 19th before he ended with injury. That were 7.1 innings combining for 11 earned runs and 22 base runners. Completely messed up the whip. Completely messed up the E-Ray. Still 337. 
but Wade Miley wasn't as pristine. He probably should have won the Holly Award, actually, of the best Toby of the year, because he really was just not a strikeout guy. had this 276 ERA, and when you were cruising with him, now he's on the Cubs um, as opposed to the Brewers. Hopefully this works out well for him. Um, I, I feel he's too close to being, I mean, I just called him a Toby, calling him the Holly. That is the best Toby of the year. For 17th round, I liked your 18th round pick more. Um, I feel that there are other upside guys, but I'm kind of curious if there was, I don't know, if you if you expected more of the 337 ERA or you know, what you really saw for 2022 for Miley. Yeah, I wish I could tell you that there was this deep, in-depth thing that I have. It was a guy who I thought would throw a lot of innings. Um, I think he'll throw a lot of innings and I think that they'll be okay. And if they're not, uh, I'll move on, you know, because especially at this point in a 12, you know, a 12 teamer, um, these are not the guys you expect to roster even all the way through April. These are the turn, like these are the turnover guys. Like for me, it's a lot, like there's a lot of pitchers on here because I just ignored pitching for a very long time. But, uh, these are guys like this level of pitcher guys are just going to be on like some, like some of them will stick obviously, but we're starting to get to the point where guys like might hit the wire on a 12 team league for a while. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I would have gone after like an Eduardo Rodriguez if I knew he was going to be a tiger at the time, uh, just cause you know, I love my tigers, but otherwise, you know, I was like, well, there's not a whole lot of safety left on the board. There's not a whole lot of anything left on the board this is the guy I think that I saw that I was like, all right, he's going to throw a lot of innings. It was like him and Kyle Hendricks were the guys like, well, they might throw a lot. And I, I need that because a lot of my guys won't, but. So Wade Miley hasn't thrown 170 innings since 2015. It's been a lot of like 160 or so. I, uh, and uh, I totally understand. Essentially just start him until September hits. That's the rule with Wade Miley. And that, that could certainly work out in your favor. Um, oddly enough, Wade Miley was the first one drafted that was outside of my top 100. Um, so how dare you, first of all? I'm doing great. Uh, <laughs> feel real good. <laughs> no, what do I know, Scott? I I mean, I, I just think he's too close to a Toby personally. I think it's just more fun to see what's going on with Joe Ryan and Jesus Lazardo or um, say Cal Quantrill, lean on that, or Anthony Descafani. I think those are just giving you a little bit more. But uh, but we'll see. Uh, I mean, maybe he's just doing looking really good out of spring training. Like, oh, wait, I like those first couple starts for Wade Miley on the Cubs in the NL Central. Yeah, how did I not take Mize? What's wrong with me? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know, Chu. That was with, dumb. You went with Carlos Carrasco in the 18th round instead. And I actually like this pick a lot. Uh, what was your thought process? Uh, hope? Dreams? <laughs> yeah, so, like, I, I'm sort of like, I'm sort of just trying to make jokes about it. But I'm also trying to say, like, at this point, like, I've realized that I've not done what I need to do with pitching, right? Sure. Like, I have not put together the staff I needed to put together. Uh, it's not necessarily a panic mode. It's sort of accepting, like, at this point, what kind of pitching staff can I construct? Like, what <clears throat> what can I do? And, like, I've obviously, like, Miley's probably not my best pick there. With Carrasco, it's like, well, at this point, um, I'm probably chasing upside because I'm not, I'm not going to find these like, well, you know, like there's just not enough guys that are around that I'm like, okay, well I can just lock this in and it'll be, you know, it won't be great, but it'll be okay. I'm like, I'm just going to start, you know, just swinging for fences here uh, because I'm probably going to be churning these guys out. I'm going to be looking at guys that sort of come out of nowhere in the spring or in April. Um, so let's find what, you know, what guys have the best top 75% outcomes that maybe right. I can hold on to like 75% because it needs to be realistic. I'm not going to do like sure. who has the best, you know, top 1% outcomes, but like the top, you know, 
75% outcomes. Like what's got, and that's Carrasco to me. He's got a nice environment there in, you know, the Met it's hard, you know, it's hard to hit home runs over in, uh, at the Met stadium. So why not? Why not? Carrasco, honestly, I know this might sound crazy to a lot of people, but if you're asking like, who is most like Robbie Ray or something, it's kind of Carrasco where Carrasco isn't going like Robbie Ray, I think went around like 260 in drafts or so. And Carrasco is going a little bit early around 200, I think something like that. But Carrasco has a pedigree of the past of being successful and has legitimate upside to him. Um, I mean, we're talking seasons, so many seasons around three, five ERA or lower with a whip of 115 or lower with excellent 25 to 30% strikeout rates. Um, has the ability in the past to go hint at 200 innings. And what happened this year, I mean, he got delayed all the way through, finally came back, and normally the big thing with older guys that we get upset about or concerned is that velocity isn't there. Corey Kluber this year did not have the same velocity. Jameson Tyone did not have the same velocity. Chris Sale is battling to try to get the same velocity back. Carlos Carrasso had it, 93-94. That's what it is, and he had it. <laughs> the The issue was that he's supposed to not actually be a fastball first guy. He's supposed to be a slider changeup guy. And the slider actually wasn't good for the beginning, moved to the changeup, had some success with it, then lost the changeup and had to go back to the slider. The slider then actually picked up by the end of it. The changeup, not so much. He needs both of those pitches returning. Those should be elite offerings, each of them. The slider, when all was said and done, had a 37% CSW. That's close to the 40% marks he had in 2017, 2018. While the changeup, which had a 34% in 2018, yeah, that was just a 22% CSW with a paltry 59% strike rate. Oh, no. If you guys heard me talking before about you need your your main your two breaking balls to be able to get, or your two secondaries to get, uh, get strikes, 59% is not cutting it. I need to see mid-60s there. At the best, low 60s, but I need to see mid-60s. And he didn't have that on the changeup. I think that Carrasco can get back to that. It was a 60 Eight percent, twenty twenty, seventy one in two thousand nineteen, sixty seven in two thousand eighteen, fifty nine in two thousand twenty one. That that I feel like is something that you just give him a normal off season and start out of the gate like that should come back. Then what do you have? You have a really good starter. You have like a legitimate starter who is only one season outside of this one above a one thirty, actually one twenty five whip since two thousand fourteen. That's Carlos Carrasco. I, I think a lot of us are sleeping on him right now. 18th round is actually really good, if you ask me. It's not a seal of approval because I feel like that's kind of where he's going. But the more and more I think about Carrasco, I'm like, yeah, I got to make sure I get him in every draft because it's like that's we're chasing the Logan Gilbert, Josiah Gray, Scooble, all that stuff. I, I'm, I'm here for it. But Carrasco presents the same ceiling and he's going rounds later. So I'm, yeah, I'm just for old. this shoe. He's just old, but doesn't it didn't lose the velocity. No, that's the no, important it's... part. It's great. We're, we're pretty much around, like, once you get to around pick 200 so, and these Yahoo 12-teamers, after pick 200, there's not necessarily bad picks, except for guys that just, like, will never play, right? Like, at this point, um, I stop, I really stop looking at ADP at this point in drafts. Right. Um, I, I have players I target, like, <clears throat> I might look at ADP a little bit just to see if this guy's even being drafted, especially these earlier drafts. You don't You don't have a great sense of, like, are these guys even being drafted? Do I need to bother? Right. But in this case, it was like, look, yeah, sure. Maybe if I like scrounge around for like early mocks and maybe Carlos Carrasco went a couple rounds later at this point, who cares? He was a guy I liked. I, I you know, sort of like you, I was like, I like the upside here on the veteran. I'll just grab him and see what happens. I don't care Absolutely. if I could have gotten another guy around later. 
right? Like, All right. it doesn't matter. Five, five picks to go. You take three starters and you take two hitters. The first hitter was Taiwan Walker in the 19th round. So much debate this year about Taiwan Walker. It, beginning of the season was looking great, was doing these wonderful things. Uh, then I believe he got hurt for a moment, only at uh, 30 games total, 29 starts. Uh, if I remember correctly, I just got to look. I, I, I think there's a gap somewhere. I don't remember. But it wasn't there. There was a big hump in the middle of the season, especially. I mean, we're talking in uh, July, five earned runs, six earned runs, five earned runs, four earned runs, completely demolished uh, his perception um, from everybody where it was nothing like the first half. The velocity was really good, though, uh, for Taiwan Walker. And that's really the major point. Do you think that Taiwan Walker can be this stud pitcher or at least um, consistent one for the Mets this year? What I know is that I'm only really like when I go into spring, I'm only really worried about one thing. I'm worried about home runs, right? That mm-hmm. was, I mean, really, he started giving up all those home runs. He has a, there's a lot of ways pitchers can address home run problems. It's not like one specific thing. You can do all kinds of things, sequencing and, and location and where you miss and how you miss and all these other things. Um, I like when I've got a guy who I do think will throw lots of innings. Um, I, you know, I, I not worry that that's great to get at this point. Um, especially because I don't have a lot of it. And I think that, you know, I'm only worried about one thing. And when I'm looking at the last of like the end of my starting pitching, I'm not trying to spend a million hours stream, like researching streaming. That's just not my strength. It's not my strategy. I'm not Nick. You know, I'm not Nick Pollock. I'm not. How one of those dare guys. you? How right. dare you? So easy. Just read the article once a day chew, right. and you're fine. Right. So the beautiful <laughs> thing is like, this is a, this is actually a streamer I can manage, right? Like I am wondering, like, if he's giving up a bunch of home runs, I'm going to let him go because that's second half Tywin Walker. If he's not giving up a bunch of home runs or we're seeing the flashes, I'm like, all right, great. I can wait it out. I, but I know what I'm looking for. And sometimes you just got to, you got to play to your own strengths and, and do what you know you can do. Like there are great strategies that I can't do because I don't have the time or capacity to do them because I'm already sort of far behind. So I do rely on reading a lot of articles and I rely on things that I can understand. And Taiwan Walker is a guy I can understand. Well, there you go. Uh, Taiwan Walker threw hard. It was really nice. I call I call it Speed Walker. Got it. That was my SB roundup. Okay. Uh, ninety four to ninety five on the fastball, as opposed to ninety three to ninety four in previous seasons. The slider though dropped sixty percent strike rate. Didn't always have it. Only twenty four percent CSW. The splitter had moments sixty eight percent strike rate, but just a twenty seven percent CSW was okay. The curveball, 48% strike rate. That's not what you want. It's really just a fastball and fastballs. Everything, 241 average. And by the way, if you're curious at any point, if they're a home run guy, just compare the ERA and whip really quickly. 447 ERA versus a 118 whip. That should feel wrong to you. That it's a it's a super, it's a good whip, but not a good ERA. Oh, it's because he has a 147 home run per nine. It does go the other way as well. If you see a really high whip and a low ERA, Wade Miley, good at suppressing home runs. That is why it, 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 they are linked in that way. But uh, Taiwan Walker, to me, I don't think I'm going to be in on Walker until I see either his fastball truly dominate like a Woodruff fastball. Or if I see his slider or splitter or curveball or something that actually becomes a legitimate plus secondary pitch. And I, I'm just going to be waiting for that. I've been waiting for a while with him. For that, it's been a struggle forever. The slider at times can be it, but to me, that that makes him too close to a Toby in this way. 22% strikeout rate last year. He'll have these moments that are great. He's probably more like a cherry bomb, honestly, than a Toby. 
where he'll be really good at times and then really terrible at others. Um, it's up to you guys if you want to chase it. For me, I, I, I think it's just too volatile that I he's not on my list. Um, well, he's on the top 100, but not on my drafting list. Uh, I kill Badu though. I'm going to give you this, Chew. Finally, you get to talk about Badu because I know how much you dig this guy. Yeah, I'm going to really use the last of our time to talk about Akil Badu. <laughs> People are finally starting to pick up on him. Uh, you know, your good friend Spore has finally talked about him a little. Akil mm. Badu did so many things. Like, I, I could really rant forever on this, and I won't. Uh, you can listen to any podcast I'm on, basically, and I'll talk about <laughs> Akil Badu. He did so many things throughout the season that showed he's ready to be a major league player. You don't just look at the stats lines, folks. Look at the way they develop as players. The thing that makes Juan Soto, Mike Trout, these guys – you know what makes them so good? It's that they're not just one kind of player. They adapt all the time. Like pitchers can't do the same game plan every single game and win. They have to move things around. Like certain things won't be working. Certain things, uh, you know, teams are gearing up for certain things that you don't expect. Can they make the adjustment? Akil Badu makes the adjustment. He starts the season off with this crazy, like just smashing home runs and also striking out like 40% of the time and never walking. Right. right. Eventually he falls flat on his face. We're waiting for that. You don't see a guy strike out 40% of the time, walk 3% of the time and stay successful. Falls on his face a bit. They let him keep playing. Right. They sit him against tough lefties. They let him keep playing. And he starts walking and striking out around 20% of the time, like a month later, a totally different hitter. Right. Power's gone, but amazing plate discipline. Then he sort of goes into this third phase that becomes a bit more useful because he continues to steal bases. The power comes down a bit. He steals more bases. He strikes out around like 25% of the time and walks like, you know, basically average walk and strikeout rates, but continues to be a successful leadoff hitter um, as a left-handed guy for the Tigers. I think he's going to continue to be a leadoff guy for the Tigers, who I think are going to have a much better offense, especially if they uh, sign Carlos Correa. That'd be awesome. Uh, you know, we'll see. But when guys grow like that and continue to be useful fantasy players, I think he finishes around like a top 75 outfielder, even though he's not a full-time player to like the second half. He finishes in the top inside the top 100 outfielders. He's got 2020 upside in terms of home runs and stolen bases. I think the batting average was up and down. I think it'll continue to get better because he continued to adjust all year. He never just like went bad and stayed bad, right? Like that's what you never want to see. You see these guys with crazy high strikeout rates. What you want to see is what's next. You know, they're going to crater. That's, you know, that's a given. What happens after that? What happens when you got figured out once? Can you change? Can you adapt? And he did. And then he got figured out again and he changed and adapted again because they gave him more. Like if you watch his zone rate throughout the season, it starts going up and down. They stop giving him pitches in the zone because he's hitting home runs. So he starts walking and he like, you love seeing that kind of growth. It's crazy to see a player grow that much in a single season. That has me so excited about Akil Badu. I think that he's definitely a guy people should be targeting at the end of their drafts. Last outfielder. He's got speed. He's got power and just amazing growth. I can't believe they got this guy in the rule five. There you go. That's Akil Badu. I can't add anything here. Uh, so I'm going to go on to Jameson Tyone in the 21st round. Tyone was someone I was obviously very high on early on. Did not quite put it all together. Um, what are you seeing next year for 2022, Jameson Tyone? You know, just another another bite at the maybe apple. Right? Yep, there you go. <laughs> That's what I'm at. I think he'll throw 150 innings, and there might be some really good stretches of them. And, like, he didn't quite put it together. I mean, he had a 4-3 ERA. Like, it. It's very, you know, he had very Toby-ish numbers and maybe there's something better there. Maybe he can bring the home runs down a little bit. Uh, he did have a home run problem last season. Maybe he brings that down a bit and is a good pitcher and maybe he's not. And I cut him by the end of April. 
So, uh, man, I could talk a very long time about Tyone's season, about the the ups and downs, kind of like you did with Badu. Um, very simply put, four-seamer's really good at the top of the zone. He has an excellent command of that, but he didn't have anything else to supplement it. Uh, the curveball had moments where it was amazing. Just had a day where it just felt amazing, and he had all these strikeouts. So it was great. But the slider and curveball both working at the same time never really happened. Um, and I think that something needs to get better with the slider or curveball to complement the, the, the four-seamer. There were times he introduced a sinker again, which I think was the right move. I, I'm all for a sinker at 10% of the time to jam the same-handed batters. But not the answer. Slider curveball taking the next step forward again is everything. It used to be an excellent curveball way back when. He had flashes of it this year. Maybe Jameson Time can get it. As long as he's healthy, he's recovering right now um, from his ankle injury. Should be good to go uh, from the season at uh, the season start. But you might see him fall a bit in drafts because, I mean, 21st round, even if he's an IL spot out of the gate, honestly, that might benefit you because then you can maybe sneak in an extra streamer in that first week instead of debating whether or not Tyone has figured it out or not. So interesting pick here. Uh, definitely someone to consider. But he's not necessarily someone I need to go and get because there's just we need to see that development take shape with those breaking balls. Brendan Rodgers, 22nd round. I think this is a really fun one, Scott. Yeah, I mean, he he showed he definitely showed some flashes. We've been waiting for this kid forever. He at mm. one time was a highly regarded prospect. He still kind of was. In 2020, he kind of sort of fell off prospect lists because he started, you know, he finally got enough plate appearances. He's he's not going to like really wow you with any of his tools, but he does have a good hit tool, which I love. Uh, guys with good hit tools have a good chance of, of being very good major league players. Like Jake Cronenworth's main tool is his hit tool. I'm not comparing the two. Uh, Brendan Rogers has been around forever. There's not speed here, mm. but there could be a very, very decent sort of like Ty France, like second baseman sure. and shortstop here. Uh, that's sort of the comp I'd make like good batting average, like 20 ish home runs and like some decent counting stats. Uh, I had a lot of risk in my middle infield with Adamas and with Eugenio Suarez, like well let's have my last pick be this guy assuming he locks up a spot i mean i just i don't trust the rockies to do anything right but assuming he's a full-time player for the rockies he could be a good batting average decent power guy and again if he's not like this is like the second to last round like i I think there's upside for something here he could end up being one of my middle infielders at last util and if not i'll cut him for something i need later I remember when Trevor Story came up, we were all thinking like, what? Why are the, the Rockies doing this? Brendan Rodgers is going to be up in like a year or two, and this is going to be just kind of wasted. And then Trevor Story went off and bent, went and became Trevor Story, while Trevor, uh, sorry, the Brendan Rodgers never really came together in the way. But hey, 102 games, uh, 15 home runs. There's still a lot of potential here with Brendan Rodgers. Only a 20% strikeout rate, which is kind of interesting. Uh, maybe he can really put it together and, hey, maybe you found your shortstop here. Maybe this is actually the one you start instead of Willie Adamas. I think he's a very good late round shortstop get. Um, definitely someone to monitor. I don't know if it's a seal of approval. It's close, though. It's the closest one of these late ones. Um, him and Carrasco are the two. I would, I would debatably give it to you. But uh, definitely monitor. If you are desperate and you don't have a second baseman or a shortstop, uh, Brendan Rodgers is the one that I would consider that and O'Neill Cruz, both of those guys. I like Cruz a little bit more. I think it's just so over the top of like mash ball shortstop. It, it's kind of nuts. But Six foot really seven wrong. shortstop. But. It's really nuts. Um, but yeah, Rodgers and Cruz are the two late shortstop options that I'd be considering. And last round, I really like this one because it's my boy Michael Fulmer. 
And Fomer, man, he got saves for the Tigers down the stretch. And guess what? He's throwing hard again. He's throwing like he did 95-96, like he did in 2017 and 18 when I was excited about him. But it's out of the pen, and that's why it's happening. But also his slider's at 91 now. That's really good. I'm really excited. And he's a closer. You got yourself a closer in the last round there, Chew. Yeah, I mean, like, I think all the projections, rightfully so, are probably going to be leaning uh, on Gregory Soto here as the closer. But, dude, he walks a lot of people, Gregory Soto does. He, his walks per nine last year, I know it's not the best stat, but it was 5.65. It was a 14.5% walk rate. He's always had a high walk rate. Um, Fulmer doesn't, right? Uh, you really like closers who don't walk people. I think that he's very much in the and. Gregory Soto's left-handed. Some managers don't care for that. AJ Hinch doesn't seem to care that much, but I, I think it's a dart throw. I don't have another closer. I've only got the one. I'm okay with that in a 12-team head-to-head category league because you can kind of stream that spot uh, and, and go after it because saves come in weird chunks. You know, you'll have one week where a guy gets five, then he gets zero, even though he's the best closer. So anyway, um, I think the Tigers are going to be a scrappy team. They're actually a 500 ball club after the month of April. Yeah, the Tigers were they're They're a scrappy team. I think he has a good chance of being a closer. It's my last pick. Um, they have no reason not to try to get some kind of value out of him. Um, he's arb eligible this year. He's not a free agent until 2023. So I, I think there's upside here. And again, if there's not, I will cut him for someone else that starts getting saves. Yeah, I really like it. I think that they should be putting him in the closer role. Um, he he's it's kind of funny. Rick has him at fifty nine with Soto at sixty for saves plus holds leagues. So she's just like one of these two is going to get it, and they, that should be good for you. Um, but uh, that is Rick Graham, of course, our stellar expert for all things relievers. But yeah, Fulmer twenty third round, good upside play here. I really dig it. I uh, he should be looked at as a potential closer opportunity um, guy who's throwing hard again and had success in the role and. That could work out. But there you go. You have it. Scott, you have 23 picks here, 23 rounds on a scale of 1 to 23. How do you feel about this team? Oh, give me like a like a 16 or 17. Okay. Um, definitely some misses at certain positions. Uh, they kind of got away from me. This was my first draft of the year. I sort of expect that to happen. Uh, not only do I not have ADP and projections, but I haven't had chances to try different strategies yet. So right. I'm a little, you know, little too risky up top. And maybe didn't address um, third base really the way I wanted to. Uh, or, I mean, shortstop ended up being okay between Adamas and Brendan Rodgers. I'll be fine. But, yeah, I, I do wish some things, you know, pitching obviously did not go the way I wanted to. This team's going to take work. But for a first draft with no ADP, no projections, I got a lot of pieces I like. And I got to come on a podcast and talk about Scooble huh. and Badu without, like, forcing it, which I would have yeah. done. I would have, but I didn't have to. You did it in a reasonable way. Well done, Shu. I'm proud of you. 16, 17 sounds right. The staff, of course, I'm going to be like, ah, there are a couple other things I would have done. Maybe a little bit too much risk here and there, but you made some really nice middle round picks. It's not a bad team by any means, um, which you didn't draft. Instead, you took Scooble, but that's fine. Uh, but I, but anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of the On the Corner podcast. Before we go, Scott, remind everybody what you do. Yeah, so obviously I do most the vast majority of my work here at Pitcher List. Uh, I manage our going deep section. I don't write the going deeps very often, but I help make sure they run smoothly. I also uh, have routinely done the batter's box. Uh, I've been doing the Mondays for a while, so you might recognize me from there. And I've got a mostly hitter-focused podcast, obviously we talked about earlier, with Hacks and Jacks with my buddy Joe Galena, who does a great job keeping that together and keeping it moving. So uh, if you want 
If you want that hitting analysis and draft analysis, we actually did. We just did a piece on early NFBC ADP. We didn't. Nice. Uh, we recently did a podcast on the early steamer projections and talking about those. Uh, talking about a lot of tools you can use early in the off season to start getting ideas for your ranks. So go ahead and check those out. And otherwise, uh, I also do some stuff with friends with fantasy benefits when I can. You cannot miss Scott Chu in the fantasy industry. He is unavoidable in the best way. We wouldn't have it any other way, Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time today. But that's going to do it. So my name is Nick Pollock, and I'll talk to you guys next week.